0: So I don't know if you've been, um, I mean, I guess I know by looking out, but if today's your first Sunday here, or if you've been coming all year, I want you to know I have a message for you today. And I'm not just saying that. I know sometimes, sometimes you you come to church and you're like, man, were you looking in my window this week? And uh, of course the answer is no, um, but uh, I I have a message for you today. Um, I have four points that I want to discuss with you from the text And I have three types of people. So the four points that I'm going to talk about, and then three types of people, today I'm going to guess that you are one of them. And if you're not one of them today, then maybe tomorrow you'll be one of them. And if you're not one of them tomorrow, then I'm guessing the day after that, that you'll be one of them. And so my point is, as we go through our lives, we often change which one of these people in this story we're going to be, which one we can relate to most. But I bet that today that this message is for you. And so if you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 at the end says this. It says in verse 30 through 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so today, as we look at this, we're going we're gonna to see four points in the text. We're going to see three types of people, and these types of people, and these four points are written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. You see, in a world that is driven by politics, a world that is driven by individualism, uh, Jesus came, he broke in, he took on human flesh. He lived the life that we cannot. He was obedient, even to the point of death. And that death was followed three days in the grave, and then after that was the resurrection. That's what brings us here today. And so when I say he is risen, when you see the, the video ahead of time that says he is risen, when, when people say happy Easter to you, we are proclaiming that Christ is king, that he is over all things, that by him all things, all people are made new. And so if you're new today, or if you're just hearing this for the first time, or maybe if, when I talk about this, if you find yourself in one of these three people types, know that this is written so that you will believe in that Jesus, so you have faith in that Jesus. So by that Jesus, the only Jesus, the one true living God-King, God in flesh, that you may have life in his name. That's what this message is about. So without further ado, let's pray, and we'll get into the text. God, we thank you for our time together today. We ask that you would bless it. We thank you that Easter is a special time that we can gather together. Of course, every single day is Easter. Because every day we've ever experienced is after the tomb. Every day that we have on this earth is a day uh, post-resurrection. So God, help us to live every single day as Easter. But as we look at today's text in John, help us to see these four things that you are teaching us that help us to believe that he is the son of God and that by believing we might have life. Help us to find ourselves in the text as we see these three types of people of which I believe we often vacillate through that you would speak directly to our hearts this day. We pray and it's in your name we ask. Amen. So the first thing that I want to point out to you in the text is that John 20, as he has said by his own admission, if you go to John 20 verses 1 through 10, I'll read it through with you. And uh, what I want you to see here is that this was written to expose the divine. So by the way, if you're a note taker, um, great, these are times for you to write these things down and there's extra spots in there too, you can fill in these blanks. But the first and foremost thing that we see, and he bookends each side with this, we see that John was writing this to expose the divine. And so let's read together, they're going to move it in the back so they can keep up with me. But now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early when it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going to, toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. And as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes. So I want to show you in this how this exposes the divine. If you go all the way back to Genesis, most people, when they start reading the Bible, that's where they start. And that's not a bad place to start. That is the beginning. And just like any other book, we often think, hey, well, I'll just start at the beginning and I'll read it like a novel all the way through. And then it's about when people get to you know Numbers and Leviticus and stuff. They're like, I can't follow this at all. I can't understand my Bible. And a lot of times they end up closing it and it sits on the shelf. And uh, John is a good place to start, okay? And so, uh, yes, read through Genesis, read through Exodus, read the narratives and those kind of things. But if you're looking to brand new, start your Bible reading, you can go to um, uh, John. But also what we see here is this. In Genesis, it mirrors this. Because in Genesis one and two, it talks about God's creation. And in the beginning, it says that there was darkness. And that's exactly what they're experiencing right now. Because what John's doing is he's trying to expose the divine. You see, without Jesus, there's darkness. Without Jesus, there's sadness. Without Jesus, there is no hope. And so again, if you're new this morning and you're hearing this message for the first time, I, I want to invite you today to, to witness the divine in Christ Jesus. Because as it says here that uh, he tells them in, earlier in John 14:6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But we see darkness without him. Other terms for this are things like hidden and blind. And so Mary Magdalene comes very early while it's still dark, and she saw even then that the tomb has emptied, but she felt lost because she didn't see Jesus. That's what she was looking for. She couldn't find him. And so these two disciples, they ran forward, they go in there, and they also have despair. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you just barely crawled out of bed in enough time to come here. Perhaps you didn't want to come here. Perhaps you're here because somebody else talked you into it. Well, in Genesis 2, it talks about this world that was without form and and void. And a lot of times I like to remind people of this. And you think well, that's kind of a dark passage to remind people who are already in despair. Why would you do that? Why would you remind people of Genesis chapter two when it talks about the world being without form and void? That seems cold. Yes, because I don't know about you, but when I suffer with depression, when I suffer with sadness, when I suffer with feeling detached from God, that's how my life often feels, isn't it? My life feels without form. it feels void. It feels like darkness is covering the waters. And yet we still see in Genesis and here as we're going to walk through the text, we see that God is not absent from that. See that he is still there. We see in Genesis his spirit was over the waters and we see all the way to the New Testament as we're going to see in just a minute that Jesus hadn't gone far. Mary, Mary couldn't have found him. The disciples came and looked in and they didn't see him. And sometimes that's how we feel. Our lives seem so dark and void, and we look for Jesus, and we can't seem to find him there, but he's not far. And then we move on to this next part, and I, I like this because I'm a child. And uh, in verse 6 and 7 here, it it's, reminds me of like a Scooby-Doo moment. Just go with me, I'll explain. But in 6 and 7 it says, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, he saw the linen clothes lying there, the face cloth which had been on Jesus had was not lying there, but it was, it was folded up in a place by itself. And if you are old enough to remember Scooby-Doo or perhaps uh, Robin of Loxley, do you guys remember Robin of Loxley? And so both of these had similar stories and I'll, I'll tie this in in just a minute. But, but what I mean by this is in Scooby-Doo at the end of the adventure, right? They would find the, the person and it was always somebody who was dressed up in some kind of a monster costume, right? And I don't, I, it's different on different episodes and stuff like that, but they would always, you know, rip, in essence, it's the same. They would rip the mask off this person. And it's like, it's nobody other than old man, you know, whatever, you know. Jenkins. Yes, Jenkins, often. Well, I think it's jinkies when they couldn't find, you know. But, but, but either way, it's, it's always who they always thought it would be, right? They would have got away with it too if it wasn't for your kids and your dog or something like that. Meddling kids, Meddling kids thank you. I know we had some Hanna-Barbera fans in the audience. So who Scooby-Doo, you have them rip this mask off, and then it's always that perpetrator underneath. Now, like Robin of Loxley, if you're familiar with that, what well, what he does is he dresses up to participate in this shooting match, right? And he dresses up to participate in this shooting match so he can win Maid Marian. And they don't know it's him, but she does. And, of course, later, the disguise comes off. They find out who it truly is underneath. Now, here's the tie-in. Jesus was always the God-man. The veil of death, this veil of the linen cloths over him, that was not his true identity. I mean, he's fully man, yes, but fully God. And it's when this veil is ripped away that we see the true Jesus. And what John's doing here is he's ripping away that disguise so we can see Jesus in his full... John is writing to expose the divine of who Jesus is. And Jesus is no less divine today than he was then. Jesus is no less alive today than he was then. And so again, as we look at this, this first point is John is writing here to expose the divine, and that matters because of what he writes at the end. Because if this divine isn't the case, well, then the end doesn't matter. But because the divine is the case, then he writes this so that we can believe in that Jesus. And then in 8 and 9 here, we see these poor disciples. It says that they, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first, he went and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. And then later, of course, this would be revealed to John and he would write this gospel. Because by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Bible trivia for you, John is the one who who beats Peter to the tomb. Very humble of him to put that in there, right? Just to kind of rub it in. By the way, Peter, I'm faster than you and I'm gonna record it in scriptures for everybody to know. But he gets there and what he says is he looks in and he believes, but believes what? Again, he believes exactly what he's writing to you. That's why John writes it. John writes it because just like us, when we receive the good news, we want to tell other people. Just think of your own life. Don't shout this out, but let me ask you, because I'm gonna prove to you the case. The last good steak you had at a restaurant was at You just thought of it. Yeah, you you can tell me if you want, but that's but you just thought of the restaurant right? Or the last good, the the best burger you've had out at a restaurant recently has been at, and the point is, is when you have a good experience, you want to tell other people. That's why things like Yelp and Google reviews and Facebook likes, that's why those things exist. And John, having this experience, John, having been at the tomb, John, having like Scooby-Doo, saw behind the veil, saw Jesus for who he truly was. John, who walked with Jesus for three years, saw him heal, saw him give sight, saw him feed, all of those things. John now sees this, and he sees the light in the darkness, just like in Genesis he believes in these scriptures even though he can't understand all of them all at once. And he believes. And so he desires to share with us. I'm gonna butcher this name and I apologize for that. Balshazar, I believe, Humber, Hum it's got the it looks like a smiley you, it's got the two things over it. I don't know. This is what he talks about with the scripture. He says, divine truth is immortal. And although it may allow itself to be taken and scourged, crowned, crucified, and buried, it will nevertheless rise again on the third day and reign in triumphance for all of eternity. You see, because Jesus, as he took on flesh, Jesus, as he took on the grave, There's no way to disguise who he truly is. He is the righteous Lord. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. He is the hope. And without him, there is no hope. And so John writes this first and foremost, as he says in verse 31, these are written so that you may believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So firstly, he writes to expose the divine. And again, that matters for these three people we're going to talk about now. So that's point one, if you're following. Now we're on to point two, which begins the three people, okay? Of which I believe all of us fall into these categories today. So the first person uh, and the first type of people that this is written to, like I said, you may not be this today, but I guarantee you will be this some way, is firstly written to the dejected. Those who feel without hope, those who are sad, those who are mourning. And so we see the first person who this is written to, this is written as a promise to the, the dejected. And so go with me in verses 11 through 18 now, as we look at this, it says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So perhaps you're dejected this morning. We know that she felt that way because it says in the text that she was weeping. She was crying. She was saddened. She needed a promise. She needed hope. I don't know about you, but in this last year, this last couple years, there's been times where I have talked to people, and where I have myself have felt at times without hope. When is this going to end? When are things going to get back to normal? Are, are are the people that I love going to perish? Are, are we taking this too seriously? Are we taking this not seriously enough? But in verse 11, we see Mary who is standing outside there weeping because she cannot find Jesus. But as we see in the text, that even death cannot keep us away when we love the Lord. And the grave itself loses its stigma when we long for Christ. Mary and the other disciples were not put off by the tomb especially in Jewish tradition. I don't know if you guys are um, superstitious or not. When I was a kid and we were riding the bus, we used to hold our breath going past graveyards. Is that, I don't know if that's still a thing. I don't know why we did that. I would always hope on the, this is the kind of kid I was. I, I didn't always do that, but I'd like try to gear other people up for that. And I'd always hope like, oh, I hope there's a long graveyard going up. We'll see if this kid will pass out, right? But the grave itself, even when you walk through it at nighttime, it seems eerie, it seems awkward. But especially for Jews in first century, the graveyard, the tombs, the places like that were a place of great uncleanness. And so them even being there would, would make them so they were unclean for several days until they went through the purification ritual. But even that cannot keep people away from Jesus when they love him. And so Jesus, who once was weeping for his friend, now has someone who is weeping for him. And as we work through this, I, w- I want to give you part of his promise. He's in Psalm 126.6 and in Matthew 5.4, Psalm 126.6 says this. So if you are one, if this is you, because we're going to go through three people, if you're the one who's feeling dejected today, then, then uh, Psalm 126.6 says, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Or Matthew 5.4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we see Mary who's there, she's dejected because, and she's crying because of her concern, verses 12 through 13. She can't find Jesus when she wants to. So she needs a promise. She needs a message of good news. And so maybe that's why you're dejected. Do you long to find Jesus? Have you been searching for him? I don't know how much you guys know about Mary Magdalene, but I think, What I'm about to tell you may help give you a picture in your mind of why she wants Jesus so badly. Mary Magdalene, in just a couple chapters before here, or chronologically, is is, is a woman who is deeply afflicted. In fact, Scripture tells us that Jesus set her free from the possession of seven demons. Now, I don't know what that life was like, but if we put it in context of other scriptures that we've read or we hear about. Maybe you know the scripture about the demoniac who was full of legions and he, would, he was naked, he was out in the tombs, he would cut himself and he would wail throughout the night and people of the town didn't even go there anymore. So he was a pariah, he was alone, he was in constant pain and agony and he was in what we would call here darkness and despair. And so Mary Magdalene, this, this woman who had been set free of these seven demons in her life and who knows the trouble that that caused her, her concern is, where is my Savior now? Don't tell me I've lost him after, after just now finding him. I've just been set free. I've watched them crucify my Lord. By the way, she was one of them who was at the crucifixion who was standing with the other women watching him perish. And now to add insult to injury, now they've stolen his body. And so she has deep concern." But also in John, it was recorded that he told her this, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And she was confused. Sometimes that's what makes us dejected. She was confused. Jesus was standing right there with her and she know him not. Look at the text in verses 14 and 15. It says there that uh, she, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus until he spoke. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. You know, Jesus warned us of this too. He said that he's going to speak in parables. And then later, he also said that there's gonna be a time of judgment where people are going to cry out to Jesus. to say, listen, I tell you the truth, I did not know you. Romans tells us that we are all born with this innate nature of knowing Jesus, but we choose not to know him. We choose not to follow him. We choose to ignore point one of the sermon, the the exposure of him being divine. And so therefore we left in point two where we are sad and we can't find Jesus even when we want him. But here's the promise. If this is you this morning, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling dejected, here's the promise. Look with me with the rest of the uh, the passage here where it says in verse 16, and he said to her, Mary. Amen. He calls her by name. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus gave her a calling. He said, listen, don't stay here holding on to me. I have things to do. Rather, go and tell others about me. And so if you're here this morning and you feel dejected, you feel sad, you feel like you can't find Jesus, I want you to know something. He knows you by name. He knows every hair of your head. He knows every single thing that you have done, and yet he still stands and calls to you personally. And today, you can accept point one, that Jesus is divine. You can accept that Jesus is savior. You can accept that he's king. You can accept that he's son of God. You can accept that he's Lord. And if you accept that, John says that you will have life in Christ. He tells us in John ten twenty seven, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So maybe you can relate to Mary today. Again, if I can use cartoons, Mary is the Eeyore of this story. And that's okay, because John gives a promise to the dejected. So the second type of person is the disquieted. And in this text, John gives peace to the disquieted. Disquieted, uh, I, I like to have all my, th- my points match. So I'll pat myself on the back. They're all P's, they're all D's. It's easy for you. So, he, so, so here's, a fun, here's a fun test. Guess at the third one. You know where we're going. I just told you. P's and D's. See if you can figure it out. We'll tally it up at the end, okay? Uh, but so uh, this is written as peace to the disquieted. Disquieted means they are afraid. They are anxious. And so maybe you don't feel like you can't come to Jesus like Mary Magdalene felt with the seven demons, which by way you can. Maybe you feel like Jesus has abandoned you. Maybe you're one of these disciples. Let's look at verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said these, when he, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So here's some things you need to see in this text. This is peace to the disquieted. These disciples walked with Jesus for three years. They saw him do all these same things, right? They saw him feed, they saw him heal, they saw the same two that ran there before. I remember in the text that it says, those same two ran, they saw the empty tomb, and they didn't understand the scriptures, so they went home. And obviously they didn't go straight home, they went to this room, and they locked themselves inside. And we know from the text why they locked themselves inside. They thought to themselves something like this, man, they just murdered the guy we are following, and all of them know who we are. And if you don't believe that, how many people asked Peter? Three of them. Can you, And this was at night, Can you imagine if they're walking around during the day? Hey, hey, I know you. Weren't you one of those Jesus freaks? They lock themselves in the room. They have fear that they are going to be murdered. They are going to be persecuted. And see in the text what happens here. The first thing we see here is that Jesus stood with them. It says Jesus came and stood among them. And so if you are disquieted this morning, if you are anxious, if you are fearful and yet a follower of Jesus, then he stands with you. He's in your midst this morning. In Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And this was on the cusp of Moses speaking to the Israelites of when they were supposed to go into a territory and fight giants. And what was it that kept them out of the promised land, if you remember your Bibles? What was it? Fear. They saw the giants and they said, no way! Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted to we are as yet without sin. So if you're following... The disciples are Piglet. Right? You guys remember Winnie the Pooh? Piglet is scared of his own shadow. He always needs Pooh to rescue him. How does it go? Oh, deer. Right? And so these disciples are up in the upper room and they're waiting to have their doors busted in. And instead, Jesus comes and he stood by them. And then, secondly, he shows them. Look at verse twenty as he shows them who he is and what he's had what he's done. He showed them his hands, he showed them his side. And then it says the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. And so, brother or sister, if you are disquieted, understand that you can see Jesus too. And do you know where? The Bible is the word became flesh. And so he might not be here in the flesh, but he is here in his word. And so we can see Jesus in his text. We can see him. As we pray, we can see him as we seek to be obedient even in the face of fears. We seek to have courage. He showed them his victory over sin and death. Yes, it was in the image of scars and holes. But what he was really showing them is nothing can stop me. I will come back from the dead. And therefore, the promise that I have given to you can be affirmed, and so therefore have peace. And then he does one more thing, he sends them. What they were looking for was purpose, and Jesus gives that back to them. It was pretty clear what their purpose was before. They were the entourage, right? They were the hype men. If you've ever watched rap videos and you know what a hype man is, probably don't watch rap videos, actually, hindsight. But if you ever have watched videos, then you know what a hype man is. And rest assured, these guys were hype men. And so he gives them his spirit and he tells them, look, your job is not done. Your job was actually not just to be a hype man. Your job was to go and tell others about me. He said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And they were also told earlier in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. So our comfort and fear cannot and should not hinder us. Jesus comes and preaches peace. So perhaps you're not the dejected. Perhaps you're the disquieted. And I'm gonna tell you, Jesus is where you find peace. Jesus is where you have hope. Jesus is where you have power. You know, scripture says in Christ, we can do all things. I can do all things in him who strengthened me. That's either true or it's not. Jesus, John says, rose from the dead so you could believe in him as the Christ, as the son of God, so you could have life. And I would like to add, and the power that he has given his disciples. So if you're not the uh, dejected, and if you're not the disquieted, well, then this is probably you this morning. He has written this text to give proof to the doubters. As we close in John 20, verses 24 through 29, we visit our big brother, Thomas. And so this is what it says, if you're following along. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin. That's probably because somebody else looked like him was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again, right? And he said, peace be with you again. And then he said to Thomas, he said, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So the, other, the last reason, and the person you might be is a doubter. The problem is, the problem for us is, we have been raised in a society that says, put your money where your mouth is, right? If I can't touch, see, taste, hear, then I'm skeptical. There is no greater proof than what John records. History tells us Jesus existed. History tells us that there are those who claim that Jesus is raised from the dead. History tells us that those who claim that Jesus was raised from the dead were persecuted and tortured and still did not recant that statement. History tells us that over 400 people saw the resurrected Christ. History tells us, and we have recorded in God's word, that his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It tells us that all of us, I'm going to paraphrase now, have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and all of us understand that there is a God of whom we either choose to listen to and obey and follow, or we choose not to, as Scripture talks about. And so I want to propose something to you today. The problem that Thomas had is not the same problem you have. Thomas wanted to see it. We can't. At least not physically. But the heart of the problem is exactly the same. It's pride. Thomas couldn't believe because he couldn't see it. He couldn't take God at his word. But what John has written here is supposed to be proof. It's what he says in 31. 31. Thomas wanted proof. He wanted to see and to feel. He wanted empirical data. So if you're following, Thomas is rabbit. Right? Rabbit never believed anything. Unless rabbit saw it or tasted it or felt it, it wasn't true. Matthew 24, 40 says, then two men will be in a field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one left my friend if you're here today and you want proof I pray that what John has written will be enough and that you won't have to wait to see that proof because if you wait for that proof it's going to be too late if you wait to see what's on the other side of death it's going to be too late don't be on your deathbed and look back at a life wasted because you didn't have the right heart to believe. Give yourself to Christ. He was a real person who truly appeared. Thomas professed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved. This is the proof. And Hebrews tells us in in Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Dwight L. Moody said, faith takes God without any ifs. If God says it, faith says I believe it. Faith says amen to it. So, here are the four points we've talked about. John wrote this to expose the divine, right? He wrote this so we would know Jesus is the Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death. Jesus is victorious, that you can have faith in him. And if you put your faith in him, you will not be put to shame. You will have eternal life, just like he promised. That's why John wrote this, to expose the divine. And then he is written in here by divine oversight. Everybody in this room, if not today, then tomorrow. Because if you're anything like me, you vacillate between these. You feel like you're dejected. How in the world could Jesus ever love somebody like me? I know the thoughts that I think. I know the things that I've done. I know the words that I say. How could Jesus ever, ever love anybody like me? It's because he's given a promise. Maybe you're disquieted. Maybe the thought of witnessing to people, the thought of living for Jesus, is something scary to you. What if I screw up again? Well, what if I can't do it? Or maybe it's a mix. What if this was all fake? What if this is not real? Or you doubt. Well, I know the Bible says that Jesus would save me and He would accept me and he would take me, but, but what if He doesn't? What if I'm wrong? So maybe you're not dejected, maybe you're not disquieted, maybe you're not a doubter, maybe you're a hybrid of all three. But I know that this message and these people are you today because they're me. And let us take heart, brothers and sisters, because Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So many, scripture talks about that if if they were to do that or that it would fill libraries. So John didn't waste his time recording all those for you. What he did is he recorded exactly what you would need. These are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. So that believing that you would have life in his name. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we're here. Because this message today was for you. Jesus wanted to take you out of your room that you had locked behind those doors because of doubt or disquiet or dejection. This was written for you. Oh, gracious God, we admit that we see ourselves in this text this morning. We at times feel dirty, too dirty to come to you. We at times feel too afraid to act for you. We, at times, we even doubt your power and your goodness. God, we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would move in us, as this text says, that you would bring to us the promise and the peace of this proof of who you are. God, and I pray especially for all these who are listening to this today who aren't even sure where they're at. God, I pray for those who are dejected, that you would reveal to them that they are welcome to come to you. That whether it be a legion of issues, seven issues, or simply one, that you can bring a cleansing and the promise of your son. That for those who are disquieted this morning and have fear, anger, that you would give them peace. That you have told them the peace you offer is beyond understanding, is the peace of reconciliation between God and man. And I pray for those who are here this morning who might be doubting, whether this sounds a little too easy, a little too good to be true, or how can you know for sure that this happened? God, this was written so that we might believe. I pray that the Holy Spirit that is speaking to their hearts right now would be the proof that is necessary. God, we thank you for this promise, for this peace, for this proof. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.